Good morning, and welcome to the River of Life Sunday Morning Podcast. If you're local to Wakulla County, we'd love to see you and worship with you in person. Our service times are Sunday at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. God bless you, and we hope you enjoy the sermon. All right, good evening, everyone. We got 7 o'clock, so we try to get started on time so that we can get you get you out of here at a reasonable time as well. All right, so welcome once again to our Bible study. We are, of course, going through the book of Romans, and we are in what I consider the greatest chapter in the entire Bible, Romans chapter 8. And tonight, we are going to talk about uh, the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, we're going to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, how the Spirit works in our lives, and, and hopefully we will uh, learn something that, that maybe you didn't know uh, before. Let's go ahead and read our verses. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 9. Now, these are verses that we've uh, referenced or alluded to several times in our study already, but tonight we get to focus on these verses. Uh, and, I, and I've highlighted in blue something that you really need to pay attention to because Paul is going to bring this up over. He's going to use this phrase over and over again. He says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. In other words, those that live according to the flesh do so because they have a mindset that is set on the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit do so because their mind is set on the things of the Spirit. For to set your mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set... Does anybody see a, a theme? For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot... Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And then Paul makes a very clear blanket statement, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Jesus. Okay, that is about as clear as you can can possibly get. So again, tonight we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, but let's start with the Hoover Dam. And you'll see how we can get from the Hoover Dam to the Holy Spirit. So how many here have been to the Hoover Dam? Yeah, so that's a, it's a real, if you've never been before, you, you should go. Uh, several years ago, uh, Kathy and I and the boys, and I think, Daddy, did you, I think Daddy was with me. He always wanted to tag along on our little trip, so he just jumped in the car and went. Anyway, we were out, we went out west and went to uh, Mesa Verde National Park and went to the Grand Canyon, and we ended up in Hoover Dam, and they got this great tour you can take and you go down into the kind of the bowels of the, of the dam and you see these big turbines. It's a, it's a really neat place. And, and I kind of got interested in it and, and I studied a little bit on the history. The Hoover Dam was built between 1931 and 1936. And, and one of the really interesting things about it is that as they were building, and it's of course built on the Colorado River, and they needed to keep the river flowing while the dam was being built. So they did something really interesting. They dynamited, and I actually highlighted it there for you. They actually dynamited two tunnels in the mountains around the dam. And they actually rerouted the river both to the left and the right of the dam while they were, while they were building it, which is an incredible uh, engineering feat for, for somebody in the 1930s. But one of the, what was interesting about it is why they did it. And they did it for several reasons. But one of the reasons they kept the river flowing is because people downstream depended on that river. 
they, they used it for uh, drinking water. They used it for watering their crops and, and watering their, uh, their animals. They, uh, they washed their clothes in it. They ran their, their grits mills with it and things like that. It was really part of their livelihood. So for those few thousand people that lived downstream, they needed that river to keep uh, flowing, and so, so they, uh, they did that. But on October 9th, 1936, the first day that they actually turned on those turbines and started generating electricity. And something incredible happened on that day. You see, before, the Colorado River only benefited a few thousand. But on the day they started generating that electricity, the Colorado River started benefiting literally millions upon millions of people in, in Las Vegas and Los Angeles and other cities in the Southwest. Now you may say, well, that's a great story, but what's that got to do with the Holy Spirit? Well, the day of Pentecost is a lot like the opening of the Hoover Dam. You see, if you go back to the Old Testament and you read, the Spirit was always there. And we don't, when we think about the Holy Spirit, we tend to think New Testament and tongues of fire and, and all the miracles and the, the, the Holy Spirit and all that. But the Holy Spirit was always there and flowing, if you will, in the Old Testament. And all the benefits of the, of the Holy Spirit were in the Old Testament. For example, Job 33, 4, Job said, It's the Spirit of God that gives me my breath, and it's the Spirit of God that sustains my life. Psalms 139 said, Where can I go and the Spirit's not there? They understood the work of the Holy Spirit. They understood in the Old Testament it was the Spirit that was their counselor, and their teacher, Nehemiah 9.20. They understood in the Old Testament, Exodus 31, that it's the Holy Spirit that gives you gifts. If you go back and read that, he's talking about a man, I think by the name of Bezalel or something like that, and, and God said, I've put my spirit on him, and I've given him the ability to work with metal and jewelry and, and wood and all these great, he's, he was just a great artist. That all came from the Holy Spirit. By the way, that brings up something. We're all born with talents. Some talent, you know, some people can public speak, some people can sing, some people can play music. And by the way, that is a gift from God, is it not? You don't have anything that you, that you didn't earn any of that. You were just born with it. That's a gift from God. But there's something about the Holy Spirit blessing a talent that takes it from just a talent to an actual gift. You see, you can take a, a public speaker and they can use that for the world. You can take a singer, they can sing for the world, but you take that same talent and you, and you let the Holy Spirit anoint it, and it changes everything. See, they understood that even in the Old Testament. They understood in the Old Testament that to have the power to stand up in front of kings and, and rulers and denounce sin, that came from being filled with the Spirit. They understood that if, if you were going to get rid of fear in your life, you were going to do it one way, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's, that's the Old Testament. And they, of course, understood that all these Old Testament prophets, if they were going to prophesy, that they were going to do that because the Spirit of God rested upon them. But you see, in the Old Testament, the, the Holy Spirit really only blessed a few. The benefits of the Holy Spirit really only flowed to a few, and that was, for the most part, the nation of Israel. But on the day of Pentecost, that all changed. You see, on the day of Pentecost, that all changed. By the way, it, uh, the, um, the Judaism or the Jews had three harvest festivals that they would celebrate every year. And on a harvest festival, 
every Jewish male, no matter where you were, if you were in Israel or Greece or Italy or, or Egypt, didn't matter where you were, if you were a Jewish male during one of the harvest festivals, you had to go back to Jerusalem and make a sacrifice in the temple. You were required to do that. And one of those festivals was called the Festival of Weeks, and it always occurred 50 days after the Passover. And penta, of course, means 50. And so 50 days after Passover is the Festival of Weeks. And so the city is full of people because they're all there. These males have all come back. They brought their families. The place is absolutely packed. And at 9 o'clock on Pentecost morning, it happened. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, they, uh, they were in the upper room. There was 120 of them up there. Uh, it was the disciples. It was Jesus' mother. It was his brothers. It was people like Mary Magdalene. 120 of them in that upper room. And it says the Holy Spirit fell. It said a sound, uh, it, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, Peter walks outside and he preaches one of the greatest sermons ever to be preached. And as part of that sermon, he tells all those people, all from all these nations and tribes and tongues, he says, this, what you're seeing here today, is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Just like, see, it went from the benefits, went from a few to literally all nations. Now it doesn't matter if you're black or white or male or female or rich or poor or, or Jew or Gentile or slave or free. doesn't matter. We all have access to the Holy Spirit. You see, the power of the Holy Spirit and the benefits of the Holy Spirit haven't changed. He was always there in the Old Testament. What has changed is the scope of his, these benefits. Now it's open to everyone. Now the power of the Holy Spirit has spread to the whole world. Let me give you one quick example, and I won't spend a lot of time here, but I want to show you how things have changed. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would rest on men, and they would prophesy. For example, Numbers eleven twenty five says this, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him, talking about Moses, and he took some of the spirit that was on Moses and he put it on the 70 elders, and as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. Listen, to prophesy, you need two things. Prophecy, by the way, to prof a prophecy just means to speak a message from the Lord. That's all it means. To prophesy means to speak a message from the Lord. If you go back to the Old Testament and you look at these prophets, sometimes they would foretell the future, but the majority of the time they're just saying repent, right? They're just bringing a message to the kings and the rulers and the people. You need two things to prophesy. Number one, you need the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, you just speak in your own words. You got to have the Holy Spirit and you got to have a message from God. You got to have revelation. Everybody with me? Now, watch what Hebrews 1 1 says. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That's what we just talked about. But in these last days, and by the way, we are in the last days. The last days started with Jesus. We are in the last days. In these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son. Do you understand that we have the revelation of God? We have the words of Jesus himself and the words that he spoke to his apostles through his Holy Spirit. This is the message of God. Do you understand? I have both things that are needed to prophesy. I have the Spirit in me because I'm a Christian and I have the revelation of God. See, that's why it says in Acts 2.17, you're young men, you're young women. 
teenagers can go out and prophesy. Why? Because if they've got the spirit and they've got the words of the revelation, you can prophesy in your schools, you can prophesy in your job, you can prophesy in your families. Any of us can get up and speak the revelation of God through the Holy Spirit. Everybody with me? I mean, it has changed everything. It's not just an an Isaiah and a Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Now it's Bob and Sue and Justin and, and, and Nancy and we can all do it if we have the Holy Spirit and we have the Word of God. Now, that was a big introduction. Let's turn. Now these benefits of the Holy Spirit have come to all of us, okay, if you have the Spirit of God. I want to show you tonight how the Spirit works. Christian living, and I'm sure most of you know this, Christian living is essentially supernatural, okay? Now, when I say supernatural, I don't mean things like uh, tarot cards and ESP or, uh, or, or uh, crystals or things like that. Those, by the way, are an abomination to God. The reason they're an abomination is if you ever look to anything other than God for guidance, that is an abomination. If you look to a, 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 any type of, of magic or any kind of card readers or fortune tellers, that's an abomination because you're going to somebody other than God. God doesn't like that at all. Do not do it. So I'm not, when I say it's supernatural, that's a very simple word. It just means beyond nature. It means you live beyond what you can naturally do. See, this is what Paul tells us tonight in Romans 8, 9. He says, what separates you, you're not in the flesh, you're in the Spirit because the Spirit of God dwells in you. If you're a Christian, the Spirit of God lives in me. The Bible tells us somewhere else, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. So I have something that I didn't have before in my natural state. So so Paul is very definitive here about a Christian and a non-Christian. He says, you're not a Christian if you don't have the Spirit. You're just in your natural state and you are ruled or governed by the flesh. On the other hand, if you have the Spirit, you belong to Christ, you are a Christian, and you are ruled or governed by the Spirit, something beyond your natural. Everybody with me? Above the natural. You've got something that you didn't have before you were born again, and that changes everything. Now, let's let's see what Paul says in Romans 8, 5. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, those who have the Spirit, set their mind on things of the Spirit. You see, here's the deal, and I'm going I'm to circle this word. Christian living is all about your mindset. It's all, it, you don't get smarter. The Holy Spirit doesn't come in and, and wave a magic wand and all of a sudden make you smarter, but He changes your mind. He changes your mindset, and we're going to see tonight how he does this. This is what defines a Christian. As a Christian, you should have an entirely different way of thinking than you used to have in the natural. That, that should completely, it shouldn't even be close to what you used to have. And I'm going to show you how in just a minute how that's different. So that's what I mean by saying that Christian living is supernatural. The Spirit comes into us and he brings a mindset that we could never have just in ourselves. We never would have. The Bible says the mind that's set on the flesh cannot, will not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So the Holy Spirit makes all the difference in the world in this mindset. And let me tell you, before I'm done here tonight, what I'm trying to get across is we should cherish the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. 
It's only that you start out with a complete inability to even submit to God. And the Holy Spirit takes you from there all the way, as we saw last week, where you literally fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. That's all the Spirit. You don't, you don't get off the starting line without the Holy Spirit. You don't even get in the race without the Holy Spirit. So we need to cherish the work of the Holy Spirit and understand the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. So here's what we're going to talk about tonight. How does the Holy Spirit change your mind? How does He do that? Do I, just, uh, do I go home at night and put on a, a CD that plays Scripture? Is that what the Holy Spirit does? And I wake up the next morning and I'm, I'm more spiritual than I was. Is that what He does? How does He work in our life? Well, I'm going to show you, but I want to begin by making sure that you understand the problem that the natural man has. Because if you misunderstand the problem that an unbeliever has, then you'll misunderstand the solution. You'll misunderstand how the Spirit works uh, in our life. So I'm going to read a companion scripture. This is also the Apostle Paul. This is him writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'm going to walk through this very slowly, and I want you to see what he says. He starts out by saying this. He says, the natural person. Okay, now stop right there. What does Paul mean by a natural person? Well, that word, Greek word, I think, is suchikos. I really have no clue how to pronounce that. But that word is only used one other time in the New Testament refer to people. Only one other time, and that is in Jude 1.19. Listen to what it says. It is those who cause divisions, worldly people, and there's the word right there, suchikos, and then he describes them devoid of the Spirit. Okay? So when Paul talks about natural people or worldly people, what he's talking about is people who do not have the Spirit of God. Everybody with me? Okay? Now, let's see what he says about them. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. Okay? Now, we need to ask this question. What is he talking about? What are the things of the Spirit of God that are, that are foolish? Well, if you back up one chapter in Corinthians, Paul has already kind of explained this. He said this, The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So when Paul is talking about the things of the Spirit of God that the natural man can't accept, he's talking about the gospel. He's talking about this message that Christ has come to die on a cross for our sins. He's talking about atonement and redemption and sacrifice and, and all of this, this that goes into the message of the cross, which, by the way, has devastating implications for human pride because the gospel says you can't do it, you won't ever be able to do it, you're not good enough, you'll never be able to be good enough. There's one way, and that's Jesus. And, the, and Paul says the natural man, they can't accept that. It, it sounds like foolishness to them. Now, by the way, I'm, I'm hoping I haven't told you anything that you don't know. I hope, because this is, this is really 101 type stuff. Natural people, unbelievers, people without the Spirit of God, they just look at the gospel and they think, ah, that just, that's stupid. How many of you looked at the gospel at one time in your life and thought, ah, that's just not for me? That's, that's for them religious fanatics down there at, at that church, but that is not for me. I, I got other things I need to do with my life. We see it as, as foolishness, okay? Now, let's keep reading. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him, and he's not able to understand them. All right, now, this gets tricky. Paul just said that the natural person... The person you meet on the street, the Muslim, the, the Jew, the, the, the atheist, the non-believer, they cannot understand 
the gospel. They can't understand it. Well, now, what does Paul, what does he mean by that? We need, to, we need to figure that out. Is Paul saying they don't have the right information? Is Paul saying so, nobody's ever really explained the gospel to them correctly? Is, is that what he's saying? Is he saying they're, they're not smart enough? You know, I could, I've, I've got a two-year-old granddaughter. I could preach the gospel to her and explain it to her very clearly. And guess what? She's not going to understand it because she's not at that point where she can comprehend those type of concepts. Is that what Paul is saying? Is they don't, they don't have that kind of comprehension? Or, or are they unable to interpret the words that they're hearing? You know, I could have a Chinese man stand here tonight and explain the gospel and do the best explanation of the gospel I've ever heard. And guess what? I just look at him because I don't understand what he's saying. Is that what Paul means, that it's just gibberish? What does he mean by saying they can't understand? Well, let's go back and read what it says. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, doesn't accept the gospel. They are foolishness to him, and he's not able to understand them. And here's the key, because they are spiritually discerned. Now, that word discern means to assess. It means to appraise, or or the best way I like to put it, they, they don't know how to value it. Okay? See, here's the key. The problem is they have a moral inability to assign the right value to the message. The natural person without the Spirit of God, when they hear the gospel, they, are, they understand the gospel. It's clear. Hey, if I came here tonight and I said, listen, you're a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all, we, one day we're going to stand before God and, and we need to have a 100% A-plus grade in righteousness and every single one of us have, been, have failed. Every single one of us have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. The only way we're going to be able to stand before a holy and righteous God is if we identify with that, uh, that sacrificing that He sent, which is Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. He took the curse, the judgment for us. And if we'll just put our faith in Him, if we'll identify with Him in the courtroom of God, then we're immune from judgment. How difficult is that to understand? I mean, that's not the... I could probably do better if you let me write it down and think it through, but it's not that difficult, right? See, the problem is not their intellect. The problem is they're not understanding the Word. The problem is they can't assign the right value to the message. See, it's not a lack of clear speech. It's not a, a lack of any of those things. Let, let, me, let me put it another way to maybe help you understand. They hear the message, but what they, they think what they heard, they, they, uh, they listen to it and they think, nah, that's dumb. That's stupid. That's foolish. That, that's for somebody else. That's, for, that's not for me. Okay? Here's another way to think about it, and this may help you. Have you ever in your life been given an option to do something and you thought, that's foolish. Okay, we've all probably run across that from time to time. Why would you assign something as foolish? Isn't it because you value something else much more highly? Think about it this way. If you came to me and I said, I'm going to Beijing, and you said, man, you ought to take a, a boat and a train to get there, I would say to you, well, that's, <laughs> that's foolish. Why would I do that? See, 100 years ago, that was fine, right? But now they got this thing called an airplane. And I would say that's foolish. Why? Because I value my time. Everybody with me? What if you came to me and said, hey, man, let's go bungee jumping. 
And I would say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm not going to let some 15-year-old kid tie a knot around my ankle and jump off a bridge. Why? Because I value my life. Are you with me? What, what, if, what if I, you said to me, you shouldn't spank your children? I'd say, that's foolish. Why? Because I value the wisdom of the Bible more than the opinion of man. See, I value something else more than the thing you're, you're telling me. So what happens is when you come to a natural man and you say you need to repent, you need to believe in Jesus Christ and follow him, he says that's foolish. Why? Because he values self-reliance. He values self-exaltation. He values getting all the credit for who he is and, and what he's done and going to do in life. He doesn't want to give any of that up. You see, Luke 9, 23, Jesus said this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. That means take your wants and your hopes and your dreams and your feelings and all of that and you put it on the back burner and you follow him. It's where he goes, what he wants, what he needs, what he thinks. Deny yourself, put all that back and follow him. Take up the cross, take up that instrument of execution and you die to self every single day. And the natural man hears that and says, and ain't no way. Why would I do that? Why would I give up my hopes? I want to make money. I want to, I want to do this. I want to do that. I'm not. Why would I deny myself? See, they just think that's foolish because they, they value self more than they value God. Let me tell you, listen to this scripture. John 5, 44, Jesus said, How can you believe who receive glory from one another and you don't seek the glory that comes from God. Let me put it another way. How can you believe when you value the opinion of man more than you value the opinion of God? You see that? See, our desire for credit is that strong. We want the credit. We want people to say, boy, you did that. Wow, what a great person you are. We, we don't want to step back and say, really, that's, that's all the Holy Spirit. That's all Jesus. We, don't, we want our desire for credit to be recognized by other people is so strong that we would insanely value the opinion of, a, of, a, of another human being more than we would value the opinion of Almighty God. And Jesus said, as long as you think like that and that's your mindset... How can you believe? You can't. You can't. You can never believe if you value things wrongly. And that's the problem with, the, with, the, with, with human beings. That's the problem with the natural man. In fact, what hope is there that anyone would ever welcome the things of God? Who, 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 what hope is there that somebody would say, that's the greatest message I've ever heard. I'm just going to get up every day and put all my dreams and my hopes and my feelings behind, and I'm going to take up this cross, and I'm just going to follow this man that died 2,000 years ago. That almost sounds insane as I'm saying it. What, what, who, who, who would ever do that? Who would ever put a value on that higher than their own life? Only through the Holy Spirit. Only through the Holy Spirit. You would never do it. Listen, you didn't just wake up one day smarter than you were the day before. There's not a person here who's saved that woke up one day smarter than they were the day before. If you're here tonight and you're saved, you're saved because of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. That's it. That's the only reason you're in the race. It's the only reason you'll finish this race is because of the Holy Spirit. Now I want to close with this. This passage 
has two applications or implications, if you will, for us. One has to do with how does the Spirit work in the life of an unbeliever? And, of course, the other is how does the Spirit work in the life of a believer? So let's start with an unbeliever. Okay, anybody know any unbelievers? Anybody got any unbelievers in your family? All right, this is going to help you tonight. What is their problem? What is their problem? They don't have the Spirit. What is the result of not having the Spirit? They can't see the value of Jesus Christ. You can, you, listen, you can preach and preach and preach and teach and teach and preach and testify and preach and teach, but it's just like, a, it's like, it's like speaking to a dead person. They just can't hear you. They, they just can't value. They, they have the inability to put the right value on the message. So here's a question. How can they ever be saved? How can they ever be saved? In their natural state, if they have a moral inability to value the message of the gospel apart from the Holy Spirit, then how could they ever come to be a person that has the Holy Spirit? They can't. They can't unless the Holy Spirit intervenes on their behalf. The Holy Spirit has to intervene on their behalf. You see, the, the, the Spirit has to come. They're, they're sitting there. They've sat there in that pew or on that, on that chair, and they've sat there for week after week, month after month, year after year, and all they can think about is, man, where am I going for lunch? i got to get out of here. This is the boringest thing I've ever heard. And then one day, one day they sit there, and that day everything changes. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit rested on them. And the Holy Spirit did something, and He changed their mind. He allowed them to see the gospel, a message of Jesus Christ, in a way they'd never seen it before. All of a sudden, Jesus wasn't just a myth, a, a cartoon character, or, a, or a, even a good man, or a teacher, or maybe a prophet. He's the Son of God that takes away the sin of the world. Not only that, He takes away my sin. This, this is real. Everything changed. Why? Because the Holy Spirit did something. Listen to these scriptures. I'll just give you three. I could give you more. John 6, 44. These are the words of Jesus. No one can come to me unless the Father draw him. Nobody can come on their own volition. Nobody ever will come on their own volition. They'll just hear that message over and say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Unless the Father draw him. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. How about this? Acts 16, 14. There's a lady named Lydia. She was a, a wealthy woman. She sold uh, uh, purple, uh, which in that day was very, uh, purple was something that took a lot of work to get the dyes out. And so anybody that sold uh, purple cloth and things like that made a whole lot of money. And you can go back and read about that in Acts chapter 16. But she's listening to Paul preach. And look what it says. And as she listened to us, say it with me, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. Why did she accept it on that day? Because God opened her heart. See, the Lord had to come in and intervene so she could hear that message and think, man, this is the truth. This is the truth. Or how about this one? 2 Corinthians 4, 6. This is Paul. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. By the way, he is referring to Genesis when God said, let there be light. He says, the same God who said, let there be light, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, that person that sat there that day 
the Holy Spirit did something. He turned a deaf ear to one that could hear. He turned a blind eye to one that could see. He turned a dark heart and he shined light. And so all of a sudden they saw Jesus for who he really was and the value that was in the message. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit does in order to save us. He allows us to see Jesus for who he really is. Again, not just a man or even a myth. Not maybe a good man, some people think he is. But he allows us to see that he is the Son of God that takes away the sin of the world. One of my favorite parables is Matthew 13. Jesus said this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. There's a man one day, and he's working out in a field, and he, maybe he's out there with his hoe, and he clink, he hits something. And he kind of digs down, and he realizes, what I just found is worth more than everything I own. And he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field to obtain that treasure. But you see, when, when you got to recognize, you got to be able to value the treasure. How many people see Jesus and say, eh, whatever, I value my life. But see, when you see Jesus and all of a sudden you see him for who he is and his beauty and his awesomeness and his glory, everything else just fades away. Everything else is worth setting aside and leaving and putting it all with, with him. Here's the reason I bring this up. If you're a believer here tonight, and you've got unbelievers in your family, this should reaffirm what our job is. This is your job. Deliver the message of the cross. That's it. Just deliver the message of the cross. You can't, you can't scare them into heaven. You can't pull on their emotional strings to get them into heaven. By the way, I can scare somebody to an altar, but I can't scare them into heaven. You understand the difference? I can't scare somebody into heaven. I can pull your heartstrings and maybe get you to an altar, but I can't pull your heartstrings and get you into heaven. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to, to do that. Now, now, you might say, and I know what some people say. Let me address this real quick. Some people might say, yeah, but Derek, if we just had more miracles here, if we had, if, if, if people's limbs were growing here and, and people were getting out of the wheelchairs and walking and, and, and there were these miracles, then, then pe more people would come to Jesus. If we could just have somebody at River of Life raised from the dead, then people would flood in here to be saved. That's not what the Bible says at all. Jesus tells a story about two men one is named Lazarus. This is not the Lazarus that rose from the dead. This is a, a poor beggar who sat at the gate of a rich man. And in his life, Lazarus didn't have anything, and the rich man had everything. And, and literally, the dogs would come out to the gate and lick the sores of Lazarus. That's how bad he was. And the Bible says when they died, Lazarus was carried by angels to Abraham's side in heaven. And the, and the rich man went to hell, and it says he was in torment. And, and in one of the few places in the Bible where the Bible kind of pulls back the curtain and lets us see something, it says the, the, the rich man was in hell, and he looked, and he could see Abraham and Lazarus afar off. And he says, Ab Father Abraham, will you just send Lazarus over here just for a moment and let him dip his finger in water and cool my tongue? 
And Abraham said, I, I can't. There's a, he said, between me and you, there's an abyss, and, and I, we can't cross it. And then the man said, Abraham, will you do this? I've got five brothers. Will you at least send Lazarus back from the dead to go tell my brothers not to come to this place? Now, before I tell you what Abraham said, I want you to notice, do you notice what that man never said? He never said, I don't deserve this. I shouldn't be here. He never said that. He, he knew he was exactly where he deserved to be. He didn't say anything like that. He said, just cool my tongue. And when he said, I can't do that, he said, will you send Lazarus back? Just talk to my brothers and tell them not to go here. And Abraham says an incredible thing. Listen to this. He said to him, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, if they won't believe this, then they won't believe if a man rises from the dead. If they won't believe this, then they'll never believe if a man was to rise from the dead right in front of them. That's an incredible statement, is it not? Our job, folks, is to deliver the gospel to unbelievers. That's it. The result, that's God's job. That ain't mine. We are to deliver the gospel. Every chance we get speaking the truth into our family and to our friends, to our co-workers, whatever the opportunities the Lord gets us, that is our job. Lay the results up to the Holy Spirit. You see, only God can give the new birth. Only God can intercede on someone's behalf and open their mind to see Jesus for who he really is. Now, let's talk about the believer. Let's talk about what I assume is probably most of us here. In 2 Timothy uh, 2.15, Paul says this, Do your best. He's talking to Timothy, who's a young pastor. Some translations says, work hard. Uh, Other translations say, study. Do your best to show yourself or present yourself to God or show yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. In other words, Paul says you need to work hard that when you open this Bible, when you read a passage, that you know what it means. That you're not guessing. That you, that you can right handle this word. That's what he says. Study. Work hard. Do your best to rightly handle the word of God. Now, that's one thing that we're told. But we also know that one of the functions of the Holy Spirit is a revealer of truth. Jesus said in John 16, 13, when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. So the Holy Spirit is going to guide me into truth. It's my job when I get in there to do the very best I can to figure out what it means. But here's what I want you to see. It's not about your intellect. It's not about being smarter. Listen, I know there are some things in here that are hard to understand. I get it. But I'm also here to tell you that 99% of this book is extremely clear, so simple a child can understand it. 99% of it is as clear as, as a bell. There's a few things that are hard, I, granted. But the vast majority of this is, is as clear as a bell. The issue isn't our intellect. The issue isn't our ability to comprehend. The issue is our mindset. That's the issue. Do we value the things of God? See, the va- I, I don't know, I, I won't, don't raise your hand, but are you reading your Bible? Are you spending time in the Word of God, devouring the Word of God, or not? Because if not, that means you're valuing other things more than you value this. 
You value other things more than you value this. 1 Corinthians 2, 15 to 16. Paul says this about the Christian. The spiritual person judges all things, and he goes on down the end. He says, we have the mind of Christ. When you have the Holy Spirit in your life, the Bible says that we have the mind of Christ. And what does that mean? That means the Spirit of God is at work in you, changing your mind, renewing your mind, so that you will appraise things and value things the way God does. You'll value things the way God does. You'll see your children. And all of a sudden, your, your children who used, used to be so worried about them making the best grades and making the all-star team and, and making the cheerleading squad and all of that, and all of a sudden, one day, you're thinking, man, if they, if, if they would just grow up and be a Christian, that's all I care about. I just want them to know God. You see the difference? All of a sudden, your values just begin to change with your children and with your job and your career and your family because he's changing your mind. He's giving you the mindset of God. You begin to see that these things here, these are just temporary. That's, that's eternal. That's what matters. That's the mindset of a, of a Christian. That's the Spirit of God at work in our life making us value things the way God does. And let me tell you, you, see, you begin to see this word not as foolish, but as the most precious thing in the world. You begin to see this as like, I mean, this is everything, man. I mean, I, I'm going to do everything I can to obey this and walk in this and learn this. And it, it just changes everything. It's not a book that was written, you know, way back and people just say, oh, that's just, no, no, it's everything because we have the mind of Christ. And here's the last thing, even when it hurts, even when that book calls us to die to self, we still follow Jesus. Even when it hurts, because we know there's, that's, that's more valuable than this, that following him is more valuable than any hope or dream or anything that I think I might need to have fulfilled on this earth. How, do you, how does that person start thinking that way? That's a work of the Holy Spirit. That is a mind set on the things of God, on the Spirit of God. So when you pray, the next time you sit down to read, do this. Before you pray, God, give me understanding. Pray this, God, help me value this the way you do. Change my mind to value this word first and foremost. That's a really good prayer. That not, before you even worry about understanding it, make sure that you value it. How many of you, again, don't raise your hand. How many of you read a devotion and you read the devotion and by lunch I could ask you what you read and you got no clue? You did your duty. When you sit on that devotion, open it up and say, God, help me to value this the way you do. Change my mind. Change my heart. Let me, let me appraise things the way you do. And I'm telling you, your Bible reading will change. It's not about duty anymore. It's not about, oh, I read, I read my seven uh, verses or whatever today. I'm, I'm good to go. No, it's about knowing Jesus. It's about being like Jesus. It's about, it changes everything. Galatians 6.14, I close with this. Paul says this, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what the natural man can accept the things of the Spirit of God, which is the message of the cross, Right? Now look at, look at the man of God and look at what he says. 
I'm going to boast in one thing and one thing only. That is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world is dead to me and I'm dead to the world. You see the value change here? He said that, the world, that's nothing. That's nothing. It's temporary. It's just, it's just here for a little while and then it's gone. But the cross of Jesus, he said, I boast all in that. Let's pray. Father, you are a wonderful God. And Holy Spirit, I thank you, Jesus, when you went back that you sent the Holy Spirit from the Father. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you for your work in my life, for the, your work in the lives of all those uh, in these seats tonight, for, the work of your, for your work in this church. And I know sometimes we put the focus on Jesus. And I, and I know you want that. You want us to focus on him. But I just want to take a moment to say thank you. Thank you for what you've done in our lives, how you've taken us from this even an inability to submit to God's law to, to people that are walking in your ways and walking in your word and walking in your spirit. That's you. That's you. You did that. and You deserve the credit for that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Lord, we just love you tonight. We thank you for all you do. And I just ask that somehow, some way, as always, that you take these puny words that are spoken in an English language and you somehow take them through the Holy Spirit and do what you do. You drive them deep into our heart and you bring forth fruit. We ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen.